Blog Talk Radio. Sixers Report with your host, Jeff McMiniman and Michael Caskey Blomain. The Sixers finally get their first win. Jeff here alongside Michael Caskey Blomain with a new edition of the 76ers Report. As always, you can follow us on the app Stitcher and make sure to follow us on Twitter as well at 76ers Report. And uh, Mike, we're both down at the, the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, for the start of, you know, the Kobe farewell tour, uh, as long as, you know, along with Moses Malone night, along with the first win, how was that, you know, experience for you? And are you happy, you know, the losing streak is finally over here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you did too. I had a, I had a great time down there that evening. Uh, you know, I think the Sixers have done a really good job over the past few years, at least of, uh, you know, putting together evenings that are, that are, uh, you know, like just solid overall, um, you know, that was originally supposed to be the Moses Malone night. And, uh, you know, I think, I, I thought they did a really good job of, uh, you know, incorporating that as well as, you know, the news of Kobe retiring and his, uh, you know, his last game in Philadelphia, which kind of just, you know, happened a couple of days beforehand. So, uh, you know, I thought they did a good job of honoring Kobe, you know, before the game with uh, uh, Dr. J and his high school coach and, you know, throughout the game as well as, uh, you know, the tributes through Moses. Uh, so, yeah, that combined with the fact that the Sixers got their first W, we can hopefully stop hearing quite so much about how bad they are nationally. Uh, you know, I thought it was a pretty good evening overall to be a Sixers fan. What uh, what were your thoughts about the evening? Yeah, I mean, it was just an incredible evening. You know, I, I got to see MJ, um, not his last stop in Philly, but, you know, towards the end of his career in, in Philly there with the Bulls, uh, you know, I got to to see some of those moments there in, in 1998 and just the reception he got from the, the crowd as well. Um, so to be there for Kobe's kind of night there, along with Moses Malone, you know, announcing his uh, jersey retirement next season finally, you know, it was just an awesome night. And you know, I was really surprised by, you know, some of the reactions by some of the Sixers followers, you know, kind of upset by both the timing of Kobe's retirement announcement and, you know, just kind of thinking it was disrespectful there towards Moses Malone. You know, I don't think that, you know, that was Kobe's thinking process whatsoever. I think it was more, you know, I'm going to go on this long road trip. You know, now's the time to, to kind of put it out there 
you know, I don't want to answer these questions constantly from reporters game after game, whether or not, you know, I'm I'm going to officially retire, whether or not I'm going to stick it out for another year or two. Um, you know, I think this was just kind of Kobe's, you know, time to say, hey, I'm ready to embrace the reception. I'm ready to, you know, kind of go home to where it all started and really, you know, appreciate uh, and take in what the fans would give him. Um, but, you know, how did you enjoy kind of the reception for Kobe all night? And uh, what do you say to those fans that, you know, have that kind of thought process regarding uh, the night in general? Yeah, I was uh, I was pretty pleased with the reception that Kobe got overall. Um, you know, he's obviously kind of had a, an up-and-down relationship with the city of Philadelphia since uh, – you know, basically since he left Lower Marion and went to Los Angeles to play for the Lakers all the way back in 1996. Uh, so, you know, there was obviously going to be a little bit of a mixed reaction here. But overall, um, I'm sure you noticed it too. I really thought that most of the, uh, you know, most of the crowd reaction that evening was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, you know, I thought they showed Kobe the, you know, respect throughout the evening, both before the game and they gave him a standing ovation afterward. Uh, and, you know, regardless of the, the personal feelings of if he didn't really represent Philly well enough throughout his career or, or whatnot, he obviously, uh, you know, he accomplished so much on the court. Um, and, you know, for better or for worse, he's from, from Philadelphia. He was born here. He played his high school ball here. So, you know, there's always going to be that connection between Kobe and Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, as you kind of alluded to, I, I really don't think that he, he certainly didn't mean to take any sort of uh, – you know, spotlight away from Moses Malone. I mean, I don't know, but I doubt that he even realized that, you know, the Sixers were supposed to be honoring Moses on uh, that night when he made the announcement. And, uh, you know, I think it, I think it's the right thing to do at that point when you, if you know yourself that this is going to be your last run, you know, I think a lot of us just by watching Kobe this season kind of assumed that, yeah, you know, this is, I think you and I had even mentioned that this, there was a good chance that that was going to be his last game in Philly, but, uh, you know, if he knew it inside and, you know, it's just nice for him to, you know, have it become concrete and to let everybody else know for, you know, exactly that reason. I had really no problem with, you know, I saw, as you mentioned, I saw some people, uh, you know, talking kind of negatively about the MVP chance that he was receiving throughout the game. And I, honestly, I just, I didn't have a problem with it. You know, I thought that uh, whether or not people were there for the Sixers or for Kobe, or for a combination of both, I really saw nothing wrong with, uh, you know, him letting letting the fans know that this was going to be his last opportunity to, you know, their, their last opportunity to see him. And, uh, you know, if, if people wanted to embrace that for whatever reason they like or dislike Kobe, uh, you know, I thought that they, it was just a good thing for them to be able to know that, you know, for me personally, I really enjoyed the opportunity to be, to be like, heading into the game, okay, this is really the last time that I'm probably going to see Kobe Bryant in person, you know, unless I happen to go somewhere else to catch another game this season. Uh, you know, just knowing that, you, you kind of got to appreciate it that much more, even though he was obviously struggling on court, you kind of look past that and be like, wow, this is, you know, the end of a, an era and the last time you're going to see a legend. Um, you know, so overall, I thought I thought the night went well, and I really had no problem with, uh, you know, Kobe's uh, decision to announce it and the reaction that he received. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've known of Kobe Bryant since a young age. You know, I, I attended Ratner High School. Obviously, our main rival uh, was Lower Marion. So, uh, you know, I got to catch some of his high school games back then. And, you know, even just family ties. My brother, you know, covered the Los Angeles Lakers for five years. Um, you know, had a couple sit-down interviews on ESPN with Kobe over the years. 
Um, you know, it was kind of just surreal to to see the way he started out that game. You know, just <laughs> three of four uh, from the three point line. Uh, were you you know thinking eighty one points then, Mike? I don't know about 81, but I think everyone in the entire arena at that point was, you know, had kind of like a nervous excitement and anticipation that, oh, man, is he really going to pull out a vintage Kobe performance tonight? Uh, you know, once the first one went down, it was I was like, oh, okay, well, he's, you know, he, he's coming out. It's Philly. He wants to put on a show. Then the second one comes that goes down, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, he means business. And then the third, he has, you know, nine points in the first, you know, 70 seconds. You're like, wow. But then, uh, you know, that, that pretty much, you know, it kind of sizzled off quickly. He joked after that he just, uh, you know, he just can't really sustain that energy like he used to. But, uh, you know, even for the first couple minutes, it was pretty entertaining to have that, you know, that similar feeling for Sixers fans like, oh, no, is this going to be another one of those nights where Kobe goes off? Uh, you know, I think it would have been fun to see him maybe put up a little bit better of a performance throughout the evening than he ended up doing. I think he shot, uh, you know, something like six for 27 from the floor, pretty, you know, pretty bad basketball overall, but that, uh, that hot start, I think definitely had a lot of people, at least around me excited. Oh yeah. It was, you know, so interesting to just hear, you know, the cheers for Kobe, um, <laughs> kind of intermixed with cheers for the Sixers. Uh, it, it was definitely something I'm not accustomed to to watching when an away team is playing here. Uh, you know, back in his MVP days, uh, there was definitely a lot more Lakers fans that would come out and, uh, you know, kind of cheer him on them, but nothing to this extent. And, you know, I, I think that the Sixers did him well with, with the intro video they did, bringing back uh, Coach Greg Downer from Lower Marion to uh, – you know, give him his high school jersey uh, before the game with Dr. J. And, uh, you know, it was just uh, a great kind of stamp that, uh, you know, Philadelphia gave him there, the Sixers organization gave him there. And, uh, you know, he'll definitely remember it uh, the rest of his lifetime. Um, but, you know, moving on from, you know, the, the Kobe farewell tour, by the way, he had an incredible end to the game yesterday in Washington. Uh, but you know, moving on from that, we have some more kind of troubling news. Obviously, Jalil Okafor suspended two games. In my personal opinion, probably should be more like five to ten games for his altercation um, outside of a Boston nightclub, uh, you know, about a month ago now. Um, so did you watch the two videos there, Mike, and – you know, especially the second one there, how shocked were you just by, you know, the actions of, of Jalil and, um, you know, what do you think should be done moving forward? Yeah, Sixers fans didn't even get to enjoy the first win of the season for a full 24 hours before some more, uh, you know, negative news hit the cycle. I think it was uh, like Wednesday morning around, uh, you know, 11 or 12, I think, when that second, the you know, the TMZ report, the second video broke. And, uh, you know, I think that one was the one that, um, you know, made a lot of people really be like, wow, something needs to be done here. Um, just basically because of the, you know, the angles and, it, you know, it's a little bit more extensive of a video than the first one. 
you know, it's it's definitely an interesting situation, especially considering, uh, you know, how highly uh, value, valued Okafor is in the, you know, in the realm of the Sixers franchise right now. He was obviously the third pick in the draft, uh, and a huge building block for the team going forward. Overall, basically, since the story broke, my, my approach has been, uh, you know, he obviously certainly made a mistake. There's no excusing what he's done. Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of fall on the side of, you know, let's not not necessarily giving him a pass, but factoring in, you know, like other equations, the fact that he's a 19-year-old kid, uh, you know, would be a sophomore in college right now and is new in, in situations that he's, you know, in currently where he would find himself, uh, you know, outside of a club, at, you know, in a situation like that. Um, you know, overall, I also thought that the suspension was a little bit light uh, that the Sixers handed down. You mentioned, I, if I had to guess before it came out yesterday, I would have thought it would have been a, uh, you know, probably a five-game suspension. The two-game uh, comes off as a little bit of, uh, you know, almost kind of like a slap on the wrist when, uh, you know, it was pretty serious, especially when you add a couple of the, these instances together, uh, you know, the Boston fight, the room, the report of the Philadelphia fight, obviously the, uh, you know, the speeding incident on the, on the bridge there. Uh, um, you know, it, it's a little uh, pattern over a small period of time. It's, it's definitely pretty concerning. And, uh, you know, I think the Sixers definitely needed to address it. Uh, they might have even waited a little bit too long in the eyes of some. I think people thought he, you know, they probably should have sent a message to, to him and uh, after the first video surfaced, you know, especially if he's going to be a leader in a face of the franchise, um, you know, they have to let him know from uh, early on that so, such behavior you know, when you're representing the team outside of, uh, you know, the basketball court, it's unacceptable. But, you know, overall, I'm, I'm certainly not going to, like, jump to conclusions. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to Jalil a couple of times in person, you know, it's media interactions and everything I've heard of him. He seems to be, you know, he's a, a soft-spoken. He seems to be a humble, nice enough guy. Uh, you know, bad things always happen late at night at clubs when young guys are getting served alcohol and situations mix. Uh, you know, with that being said, he certainly, you know, he needs to work on some things and control himself better. But uh, I'm not ready to say that, you know, he's he's a, a bad person or doomed to repeat similar, you know, it's not like it's necessarily going to be a trend of behavior down the line for him as long as, you know, he gets people around him that, that they're there to help him. The Sixers have obviously or already said that they're, uh, you know, going to get him a security guard. The suspension obviously should wake him up. Maybe he'll get some sort of counseling. Uh, but, you know, it's definitely something that they're going to have to monitor going forward with, uh, you know, everything else that's going on with the franchise. It's just kind of another, you know, another head scratcher for fans. Uh, you know, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, hard not to be kind of disappointed in Jalil and, and his decisions. Uh, I mean, 108 miles per hour on the Ben Franklin Bridge, I, I think that surprised me even more than than the actual fight. I mean, yeah, that that, that Charles Barkley. Really yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you're really putting other people's lives in danger there, whereas you know, and, and fighting a, a fan. His own life. Oh, of course. Um, and I mean, heckling fans; those are always going to happen. You know, I think Charles Barkley even brought up how you know he's beaten up like four fans or something outside of. Uh, bars and, you know, different places over the years. And he has, you know, no sorrow for that. He thinks the fans deserved it. And, you know, these fans, you know, might have very well deserved it, but you just have to be the bigger man in that situation. You know, you're the one with everything on the line. And, you know, you can't be 
scrapping outside of bars. That's not, you know, what a face of a franchise, what a what a future, you know, supposedly maybe all-star in the future should be doing. You know, these are situations you have to totally disassociate yourself with. And I think uh, a security guard is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that misconduct story is even true. I, I heard, you know, several different reports saying it, it might not be true, but, um, you know, just trying to get into a bar as Jill for at 19 years old in Philadelphia, I think you're going to be spotted pretty quickly. And, you know, you just have to, to really own up to your actions, learn from it and move on. I don't think he's going to have, you know, too much of a problem. I think he has the right, um, you know, at, at least inner circle around him. You know, I, I don't think that Nerland's Noel is, you know, a, a, a guy who's going out drinking every night. I, I don't think Christian Wood, who he was with on that night, is, uh, you know, a bad influence on him either. He just has to really, you know, focus on just being the face of the franchise and and uh, being accountable for all of his actions. And I think this two-game suspension should definitely wake him up and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll refocus on, I guess, the rest of the season here. Um, but outside of, you know, Jalil as, you know, kind of a person outside of basketball, um, what have you thought? You know, recently regarding his play, obviously his game against the Timberwolves and Carl Anthony Towns was probably, you know, his best game of the year. Um, but, you know, this, this past game against the Lakers, you could just tell he was he was mightily struggling besides, you know, that, that N1 play to kind of put the game away at the end there. Um, you know, what have you thought of his game recently? And, uh, you know, what do you think he needs to work on still? Yeah, you know, he's uh he he definitely did look a little bit drained in that Lakers game. Uh on a positive note, I think he's really uh he's made an effort to improve his rebounding. Uh as of late, you know, he has his uh his season average is up to 8 uh, 8 boards a game, which is, you know, getting into a respectable level earlier on in the season. He was you know, it was more around 4 or 5. I think that's a that's something he's focused on and with his size, uh, you know, there's, there's no reason he couldn't. I'd like to see him get a little bit better on the, on the offensive glass. There's a lot of times where it looks like a, a ball could go up that he could at least get his, his hands on. He kind of doesn't even try. Uh, you know, I think if he had a little bit of that Moses Malone uh, offensive glass, if you're <laughs> in him, it, could, it could certainly, uh, you know, it could really help his game. He could, you know, add four or six more points a game just, uh, you know, by putbacks if he kind of asserted himself um, down in in the offensive glass a little bit more. Uh, you know, with that being said, I think it's at this point it's it's pretty clear, like a, a lot of us that have watched the Sixers uh, consistently, you have a you have a pretty good idea of, you know, what, what he's capable of already. You know, every game there's at least, uh, you know, one or two uh, moves where he has the ball in isolation and he takes his defender to the rack and you're like, wow, this kid's only 19. Uh, you know, he has great footwork, solid touch. Um, and, you know, but there's there's still, still obviously questions about him. Uh, you know, people are obviously will point to his defense. I'm not as concerned about his defense going forward as I am really uh, – just how if he's going to be a guy that you know that the Sixers really build around how exactly that's going to work uh you know I think anyone people watching have also noticed that there's been times where the offense has 
honestly just looked better with him on the bench. Uh, you know, they it kind of gets up and down the floor a little bit quicker. The ball moves around a little bit more. Um, you know, Okafor is extremely effective uh, on that block in an isolation scenario where he gets to kind of, you know, have a few seconds to work on a defender and do a move, which is, uh, you know, it's really very opposite to kind of how the Sixers played offensively last year when they were having some success and, you know, just really getting up and down the court and letting out a lot of threes. Um, so, you know, that that's kind of my biggest concern with him right now is just really the, the fit as far as how he's going to be a fit if he's going to be a central point of the offense moving forward. But, uh, you know, it's still obviously less than 20 games into the – or just 20 total games into his rookie year. So, uh, you know, I'd like to at least see the rest of this year, um, you know, how he continues to develop. But, uh, you know, at the very least, they have a, a guy that's very – can be, you know, very dominant on the offensive end, uh, you know, if in, in a half-court scenario. But, uh, you know, with, with the way the game's played now, with such an emphasis on transition and 3 and D type guys, it just seems that uh, – you know, the Sixers would have to construct a very particular type of team if they want to build it around Jalil. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm not sure if that's the type of team that you really want to build in the, uh, you know, like the way the game's going right now. Yeah, exactly. And, and we've talked about that extensively in past episodes, just how, you know, that kind of old school center is not the way the NBA is moving in. And, um, you know, looking at Kristaps Porzingis play the Sixers last night, he's kind of the guy that, you know, the NBA is shaping towards, you know, that, that rim protector that can also step outside, hit a three-pointer, you know, has a, a solid touch on, on his mid-range game. Not to say that Jalil Okafor can have a role on a winning basketball team. Um, he definitely can. Just, you know, when you're looking at that kind of face of the franchise, the player that can really be in your starting lineup and be most effective on a championship caliber basketball team, you're looking at a guy like Kristaps Porzingis. I don't know if, you know, Okafor is that guy yet. Not to say that he can't improve his defense, not to say he can't improve his, you know, mid-range jumper, not to say he can't improve his his footwork. Um, It's just, you know, a wait-and-see approach, and it should be interesting to see, you know, if he's re-motivated after these recent events to to kind of prove people wrong. I think he will be. I think that, you know, he's going to be out to impress and to really show, you know, he's dedicated to this and, um, you know, really just kind of have that extra motivation on the court. Uh, But once again, this is uh, the 76ers report. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Kasky, Blomain. And another Sixer who has been really playing with tenacity lately uh, has been, you know, Robert Covington. Uh, just really in every statistical category recently, he's been really playing out of his mind. You know, the other game against the Lakers in that win, he had 23 points, five rebounds, four assists, two blocks, uh, really just all over the court. Uh, you know, a couple games before that against uh, the Rockets in a really close loss, 28 points, seven rebounds, five assists, and eight steals. Um, you know, what have you thought about just uh, Roko's really, you know, awesome play of late? And uh, is is this kind of the turning point for the Sixers to start winning basketball games when you have Covington playing like this? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think you saw uh, the difference almost right away when he finally was able to get back, uh, you know, healthy in, in, into the solid rotation. Uh, that's right when the team started to, uh, you know, actually just play a lot better. It took him six games to finally get a win. But, you know, those last few games before the Lakers game, uh, the Grizzlies game, Rockets, uh, Celtics, Heat, and Timberwolves, I believe, you know, the Sixers had a lead in all five of those games in the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, it's no coincidence that that was the five games when Robert Covington was, uh, you know, back getting almost 30 minutes a game, uh, you know, back inserted into the starting lineup. Uh, I mean, I love Robert Covington. I really have since they brought him in last year. He is, uh, you know what I mean, he's like the definition of the process. He's, you know, he's a, an undervalued <laughs> talent that they, uh, you know, that, that they just brought in on the low in, a, you know, a really nothing-to-lose situation. And he, uh, you know, he just really took advantage of the opportunity and, uh you know, as we were just talking about the skill sets in today's NBA, he's just like a, a prototypical guy that you want to have, uh, you know, on your wing. He has size, uh, you know, he's decently quick on his feet, obviously has a great stroke. And, uh, you know, his defense as of late uh, recently has been impressive. He's been getting steals like crazy. He's been able to, you know, lock some guys up on the perimeter. It's just, you know, a lot of a lot of promising play from, uh, from him. And I, I do think, you know, it, it's unfortunate now that obviously – we're uh, we're getting Roten back on Saturday, but Okafor is not going to be able to play. It's you know once all these guys, I really think that uh, you know once they're all able to kind of hit the court together at the same time, we'll start to see. Kind of this this aspect it reminds me of uh, the season last year where uh, you know they were close some games in those first few games up until they got their first win, and then once they won. Not that, you know, they went on some crazy run and, you know, won eight in a row, but the wins became more consistent as, you know, the team kind of got, you know, a little more confident and used to playing with each other. And I kind of think a similar thing will happen this year, um, you know, especially when Okafor gets back from the suspension and Roten, you know, Roten joins the team on Saturday. And then, uh, you know, Marshall comes back in a few weeks, I think, you know, we'll start to see some more wins. And, uh, you know, Cousinkins obviously showed that he's, uh, you know, huge probably as big as anyone on the team and uh you know as far as impacting the, the wins yeah definitely and um you know we were kind of waiting for him to break out he kind of started slow there and he really has uh you know if you want to name an mvp over the past five games without a doubt it's been robert covington uh he's the reason they really won against the Lakers in that one. Even when, you know, Kobe Bryant was hitting those threes to start out the game, it seemed like Covington was matching him, you know, each time down the court. Obviously some solid D on Kobe uh, for the rest of the game, you know, after that first quarter. So, uh, you know, I'm excited to see kind of how he can perform the rest of the way here. He kind of banged up his hip a little bit against the Knicks, so hopefully that's fine. And, uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it just seems like when everyone gets healthy, something else goes wrong. You know, Nerlens Noel got got banged up a little in the last game. Jeremy Grant got banged up a little in the last game. You know, now that Tony Roden's finally healthy, is he gonna, you know, come to practice and just have these these guys sitting on the sidelines? Uh, it's just <laughs> it's really crazy to to just see how the injury bug has hit the scene this year. Um, but yeah. With Roden coming back, you would have to imagine, I guess, that that Phil Pressy would be the the guy to get cut. Um, is there anyone else that you think uh, you know might be leaving when uh, Roden comes back? 
No, I don't think so. I think uh, I think Pressy would, would probably be the guy. Uh, you know, obviously they'd, it would be a guard that they'd get rid of, and uh, you know it's not going to be TJ or Isaiah. So you you think Phil would be the odd man out? I'm uh, I'm actually kind of curious how they'll use Roten. Um, you know, once he comes back Saturday, let's say, I wonder if he will, you know, be in the starting lineup or if he'll be coming off the bench and if they'll be using him kind of as, as a, a point guard or if, or if he will be playing off ball more. I think that'll be a you know, pretty interesting to watch for when he comes back to the lineup. Well, how do you see them using him, you know, early on when he gets back? Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be very interesting. I think that he'll, I guess, run the offense to start at point guard. Um, but slowly, I think you'll see him take minutes away from Isaiah Cannon. I think that's the most likely scenario. And he'll kind of play that shooting guard scoring role um, that we're accustomed to seeing. I think that T.J. McConnell uh, just really fits this team's structure and what they're trying to do in terms of, you know, create some penetration, get some ball movement. And also on the defensive end, McConnell has really shown to be reliable this season. So, um, you know, maybe rooting to to start a couple games there and and see how he reacts to, you know, getting some extensive minutes uh, with that knee and kind of getting into the groove of things. But I think – you know, five games maybe into his uh, his playing start here, you'll see him play more of the shooting guard role. And, I mean, it is interesting that this team, you know, now 20 games in here, still hasn't found a starting shooting guard. You know, <laughs> we've cycled through uh, Stauskas. We've cycled through Hollis. We've cycled through... Uh, Isaiah Cannon getting some starts there, shooting guard. Uh, do you think that Roden does have a chance to kind of take over that starting shooting guard spot? Yeah, actually, I do think it's a definite possibility because, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the offense has been running well with, uh, you know, T.J. McConnell. He's able to, you know, kind of penetrate and get all the guys involved and get the ball moving. And, uh, you know, Roten, one thing that will be really nice about having Roten back is he'll, he's, uh, you know, he's, Covington's been able to do it. But he's the best player on the team, at, you know, just getting his own shot, uh, you know, driving in. He's one of the best at the in the whole league almost at, uh, you know, just getting to the rim and finishing around the rim. Um, you know, he, he was extremely expo- explosive last year. He was a team leading scorer before, uh, you know, before he went down with the injury. So, and that's just something that the team, they just have not had uh, this year at all. You know, since Covington's been back, he's, you know, he showed like he showed some ability to kind of put the ball on the ground and take it to the rim, but not not consistently. And you know, Roten's a guy that's just always on the attack. Uh, you know, he he can shoot from the outside, but he's obviously much more comfortable at uh, you know, taking the ball to the rim. And I think that'll be a a, a, no, a new aspect to the offense. And then uh, if you couple that with T.J. McConnell being able to kind of control the pace and get every, get everyone involved, and then you add a you know a slashing scorer like Roten, I think that could actually work well for what the team is trying to do. And, uh, you know, like you said, uh, they, there's no bad option really at, at the shooting guard spot right now. I think, uh, you know, maybe they thought that Stauskas, Stauskas was going to kind of, you know, seize the role. And he, you know, he's kind of really been underwhelming and inconsistent. You know, he's been not been terrible, but he hasn't, you know, just grabbed the role and made you think like, oh, yeah, he's the starting shooting guard. Uh, you know, same with Hollis. He He's a guy that you and I both like. He's obviously been here since the beginning of the Brett Brown era. But uh, you know, he just he never seems to do enough to you know really jump out at you and be like, yeah, this guy sh- should be the starting guard. Uh, you know, he can hit knockdown shots, but that's all you really see out of him. I think Roten in that role just provides another 
a different dimension to the offense that could be really useful in, in that starting group or, uh, you know, otherwise similarly, they could bring him off the bench to do the same thing. But, you know, I definitely think that they'd probably want him in there in the starting group. Yeah, for sure. I, I could definitely see him taking over that role. And, um, you know, another guy that has kind of uh, poked his head out here in uh, some of the recent games is Jeremy Grant, uh, you know, the, named the November player of the year for the Sixers or player of the month for the Sixers. Uh, what have you liked from him? I mean, he's really developing into that rim protector role that, you know, many thought that Noel would be kind of the main guy this season. It, it seems like Jeremy has really turned into that guy for the Sixers, but what do you think? Yeah, he's also turning into like the the highlight reel guy for them. He has uh it seems like either like a, a crazy like thunderous dunk or a, like a really nice block in every single game. He obviously had that uh you know, that real nice slot on Kobe at the Lakers game on Tuesday. But uh yeah, Jeremy's development has been really nice to see this year. Uh he still makes some plays that are kind of like frustrating. I, I feel like his basketball IQ is kind of like catching up to his athletic ability but it's not fully there yet. But uh yeah, it's, it's nice to see that his his defense has come along and he's so versatile that he's just a good option to have coming off the bench. You know, he can cover pretty much three different positions. You you could have him out on a, you know, either wing position or kind of on a, a power forward as he plays sometimes. And, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of obviously not in the exact same skill set, but in a way, Andre Iguodala, that he's, uh, he can kind of just come in there, guard, you know, whatever spot you need him to guard and just fill in on the offense. You know, he can run the break, get up and down the floor, finish around the rim. He can shoot, but he's one of those shots where you're like, you know, kind of hold your breath when he shoots. You're like, oh, okay, good if he makes it. If not, maybe hold off on it. But, uh, you know, his skill set's definitely coming along. And I think his, you know, his athleticism and his ability as a, as a rim protector, like you alluded to, uh, you know, just makes him really valuable uh, going forward. Probably not necessarily as like a, you know, starting forward on the team, but uh, I could definitely see him as a guy that, you know, they could bring in off the bench for, you know, extended stretches and not really have a drop off in, you know, efficiency or productivity. Yeah. I mean, you really swatted Kobe's shot back to 1996 there <laughs> in Tuesday's <laughs> game. Uh, yeah. He's just been so incredible athletically you can really tell, you know, he's really bulked up in the off season. really, you know, more comfortable kind of protecting the paint down there. Whereas last season, you know, he kind of used his length. He's, he's really bulked up and can really size up his opponents now, which I think has done, you know, wonders to his game. And obviously the coaching staff has noticed to name him, you know, the, the November player of the month there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, outside of just the current team, obviously there's been some kind of, you know, lottery talk rumblings. You know, I posted something on, on Twitter today just going into the picks currently that translate. Um, and obviously the Sixers first rounder, um, the Lakers won. You know, it's kind of borderline uh, if that's going to convey or not. And then uh, it's picks number 23 and 24 in the first round uh, owned by the Heat and the Thunder. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if you caught the final stat line from the other night from Ben Simmons, but, you know, what can you say about just a guy that, that posts 43 points, 
14 rebounds, seven assists, three blocks, and five steals, um, you know, for the Sixers potentially to get him in the upcoming draft. I mean, that's what we're tanking for, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I mean, he is, uh, he, from what I've been able to see, he is definitely a monster and would be, you know, a great addition with the Sixers. I'm really doing my best to kind of curb my enthusiasm, uh, as far as the Sixers potential of landing him. Uh, you know, I was really all in on Andrew Wiggins, uh, two years ago, uh, like super excited about the team's potential of landing him. And, uh, you know, it seemed something that was like really likely, uh, obviously we all know that that didn't happen. Uh, same with, Although it doesn't look too terrible right now, I was pretty high on D'Angelo Russell pre-draft or yeah pre-draft last year. I think you were also, and we both kind of thought that he was going to wind up in Philly. Obviously, that didn't happen. So I'm doing my best this year not to get, uh, you know, too excited <laughs> on a pro- the the idea of a prospect winding up on the Sixers next year. But uh, you know, he's Simmons is uh, super fun to watch, and he just looks like he'll he looks like the type of guy that just would already be you know like if he was able to come straight out of high school, like a guy that could already be doing some damage on the NBA level. Uh, so, you know, that's, he's a, a guy that Sixers fans will obviously be, uh, you know, keeping their eye on throughout the rest of the season. But it's just, uh, you know, it's going to come down to it again where the, where the ping pong balls bounce in May. Uh, you know, the Sixers, two years in a row, they haven't had the worst record in either of those years, which they finally might this year. But, uh, you know, it all really comes down to the luck of the lottery. And, uh, you know, it would be nice for, you know, all the these three consecutive years of struggle to wind up with one, uh, you know, to be able to have your pick of the, the litter from one time, just get the top pick one of the years and be able to, you know, get that one prospect that you could really, really build around. So, you know, hopefully that's uh, that's Simmons and that's the Sixers. And next, uh, next June we'll be talking about how he fits in with the rest of the roster. Yeah, and there's a couple of guards as well that have kind of made some noise. Uh, Chris Dunn from Providence, you know, he had a triple-double the other night, 16 points, 10 rebounds, 14 assists. And Jamal Murray on on Kentucky, uh, you know, if the Sixers do get that, you know, fourth pick or whatever it would be for the Lakers if they fall out of that, that top three spot, do you think that they kind of have to go for a point guard at this point? Yeah, I don't see why not, especially if, if like the scenario that you just described pans out and they, uh, you know, if they happen to end up, obviously this is, this would be best case scenario, but if they end up with like the first and fourth or fifth, uh, you know, pick and they end up getting that Lakers pick. And if they take Simmons with that first pick, you, you got to think they have to go either Dunn or Murray or something there with a, you know, a point guard spot. It's been, you know, a couple of years now, it's just hard to develop a team and move forward without a guy that, you know, it's basically the quarterback of the offense that you know is going to be the guy moving forward. Uh, especially in today's NBA, pretty much every team you face and every contender has, you know, it's the legit uh, quality point guard that kind of controls the tempo and runs the show. It's a, you know, super crucial part of the, the team, uh, you know, foundation of the of NBA teams at this point. So, uh you know, they've obviously built up the front court a lot over the past couple of years in the draft. Uh, you know, they can add some perimeter production. And then, you know, I think this is the year that they have to address the point guard position. And, uh, you know, since you figure you don't – you can't really bank on free agency, especially at this point, or, you know, players wanting to come and play for the Sixers. So, uh, you know, with the four potential picks in this draft, you first-round picks in this draft, you would think that, you know, they, they certainly would have to look at the point guard spot there. So uh, the Sixers, they have 
you know, some, some winnable games coming up here, you know, on Saturday against the Nuggets, and then, you know, they're heading to Brooklyn next Thursday to play the Nets, and, uh, you know, the Spurs are kind of in between that, but, you know, just mark that as a loss. Um, you never know, but uh, I would say that's pretty unlikely. And then they have a very long and hard road trip um, after that, you know, the Disney on Ice Tour out, out west, and, you know, they play the Cavs and the Hawks and the Bulls and the Raptors all on the road. Um, so, you know, is this kind of their chance to pick up a couple wins here against, you know, more beatable teams? And uh, do you think they can really prove who they are as a team in, in these next few games? Yeah, that that road stretch is going to be brutal. Um, so I, I do think now um, the next few games coming up, especially two out of the next three, uh, you know, as you said, San Antonio, it's probably a safe bet that the Spurs might come out victorious in that one. But the Nuggets at home, uh, the Nets next Thursday, uh, you know, those are two games that they have potential to win. And then uh, next Friday, again, back at home against the Knicks, uh, you know, they should obviously be back at close to full strength. We'll have Okafor back. Uh, Roten will be there for that game, even though they got smoked by the Knicks last night. Uh, you know, that, that's another game that they could potentially uh, try to fight for. So, you know, you'd, you'd like to think that they'd be able to pull out a couple of those and kind of just, you know, once they – a couple more wins will kind of really just work to A, as you said, kind of show what they can do and be kind of just like silence all the – the outside noise that doesn't usually exist about the team, except for the fact that they, you know, that they're just historically bad. Uh, you know, I think if they win a few games, people kind of stop talking about really how bad they are and just, you know, focus on the rest of the league at large. Plus I think it'll be really good for, uh, you know, just the team's, uh, you know, kind of psyche as, as a whole. I think that, you know, as much as they understand that this season is going to be a struggle and they're not really going to be contending for a title, losing, you know, game after game after game, especially for someone like Okafor that's so, you know, accustomed to winning and being successful. It, it has to be, you know, trying mentally. It has to wear on you a little bit. So, you know, just if they can sprinkle in some wins in between, you know, a, a lot of losses, I think overall it's just good for, you know, morale and everything overall. Well, it was a great show today. Once again, this was the 76ers Report. I'm your host, Chad McManaman, alongside Michael Kapsky Blumain. Uh, go out and follow us on the app, Stitcher. And, uh, you know, hopefully this team gets healthy here and, you know, Tony Roden will show us something here in his, his first game back. And, you know, hopefully they get at least one win um, over, you know, the Nuggets and the Nets uh, upcoming year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's definitely going to be good and exciting to have uh, have Roten back. That's just one more guy that, uh, you know, can create something on the offensive end. And, it's uh, you know, it'll be exciting to watch and uh, it'll be exciting to be able to talk about him next time we're back here with the 76ers report. Okay. See you later, guys. Man, it was real cool in the school If we got good grades, I trade up A's The parents would take us to a 76 game I got my game and there ain't no shame Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone Julius Thurber called Philly is home Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony sinking threes Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly But if you want to make it on time to the show There's only one role that you really have to know So get to Fishtown without all that job I suggest that you drive on I-95 Wanna get downtown but fit in the fix Get on that road, they call 676, the most expensive, expensive piece of interstate. They ever made a better than payers, but they got your game. Get it on, get it on, get it on.
Burn!